welcome everyone to Equipping the Body. This is Pastor Brad Starnes here at Cedar Shoals Baptist Church. And today we are going to do something a little different. So far we have went through um, some Bible study tools and we've talked about uh, understanding the importance of context and we've talked about how to use commentaries. We've talked about how to select commentaries. We've talked about Bible dictionaries and lexicons and etc. All these different tools. And so today we're going to start using those tools and start systematically studying through a book of the Bible in context the proper way. We're, we're taking our hermeneutical skills and putting them to the test. And so I have before me the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to go through the entire book, um, not in one sitting, obviously, but today we will start with the introduction to the book and maybe start chapter one. It just depends on how much time we have. So if you are driving, uh, do not open your Bible and try to read while you're driving, but uh, if you are in a place where you can sit down, by all means, uh, take out a copy of God's Word so you can follow along. So, um, you'll hear me talk about asking the questions, and when I say the questions, I mean who, what, when, where, how, why, etc. Those basic uh, interrogative uh, questions that we learned um, even in elementary school in, in English. Um, and so those same questions apply when studying the Word of God. So, for example, we're taking the book of Ephesians, okay, referring to the city of Ephesus and the believers that were in Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians. And so the citizens of Ephesus would be Ephesians. So first question is who? Who? Well, the author is Paul, and we know that from internal evidence, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's chapter 1, verse 1, so internal evidence suggests Paul because the, the writer claims to be Paul, but then external evidence, and I won't spend a lot of time on external evidence as we move through passages and stuff, that's really not the, the purpose, um, we're not simply looking at this as uh, a work of uh, a literary work, but we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and so I'll, I'll reference that from time to time. But anyways, external evidence such as church history uh, and the church fathers, um, they all attributed the letter of Ephesians to the Apostle Paul. So that's the who, and then we see another side of the who, or the whom, to whom is he writing. And for that, we see that it is the church at Ephesus. And so that's a little bit of a, I don't want to say misnomer, but there's some suspicion around that because um, Paul, for example, in the copy I'm reading, it says to the saints who are in Ephesus. But was Paul writing strictly to the church at Ephesus or the churches, the groups of believers that were scattered throughout uh, the region of Asia, what would be modern Turkey, where he's at, of which Ephesus was the capital city. 
and what would now be Turkey today. And so the reason that that is suggested is because in the majority of our manuscripts in the Greek, it says to the saints at Ephesus or who are in Ephesus, okay? But the three oldest manuscripts we have do not have the word, the words at Ephesus. So there's some back and forth there if that should if it should really be considered it was to a singular church or if it was to believers in that general region in and around Ephesus. But really, when you think about it, it doesn't matter um, because it's the word of God to the people of God uh, by the breath of God. All scripture is inspired of God, right? Second Timothy 3.16. So it really doesn't matter um, for our purposes. So that's the who or the whom. Then we look at the what. Okay, what is Paul saying? What is he talking about? And the easiest way to do that with the book of Ephesians is to cut it in half. Chapters 1 through 3, because it's laid out like a sermon. Chapters 1 through 3 are doctrine, beliefs, theology. Paul talks about our redemption in Christ. He, he offers a prayer for spiritual wisdom in chapter 1. He talks about our salvation being by grace through faith in that famous Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the hallmark passage of the Protestant Reformation. Um, he talks about the mystery of the, un, of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery of salvation. And so it's, it's theological, it's doctrine, it's beliefs. And then in chapters 4 through 6, it's all practical. In other words, do this, don't do this, behave this way, don't behave this way. Um, it, it's putting the application. So when you hear a sermon, um, a lot of times, hopefully it'll follow this passage, explanation, doctrine, theology, here's what the Bible says, and then application, here's how that looks in your life. Here's what you do with that. Well, that's exactly the way Paul wrote um, the letter of... Ephesians, he breaks it down in chapters 1 through 3, first half, doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6, second half, application. And so that will help you understand and kind of overview the book. And so a little more about the uh, where, Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was, as I said previously, that it was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. And the population at this time was about 300,000. And of course, it's in modern Turkey. And it was a leading trade center in the Roman Empire. It was a very busy, hustling and bustling city. Uh, there was a lot of trade that went on here, a lot of uh, a big economy. And so that was kind of Paul's method. If you notice, he went to these cities um, and tried to plant churches because if you plant it in a heavily populated area, naturally uh, it's going to flow from there. So it was a very wealthy city, and of course, like all cities back then, very pagan. And uh, speaking of paganism, the most celebrated god, who was actually a goddess, in this city was Artemis. Artemis, she was the Greek goddess of hunting, and she was worshipped through various uh, pagan rituals. And her temple in Ephesus was at one time one of the wonders of 
the world. And so, um, very famous, well-known stuff here. Here's the thing, though. You will see references to this passage, uh, especially when you go back and read Acts 19. It talks about Paul when he was in Ephesus dealing with the pagan worship of Artemis. You'll see the word, uh, the name rather, Diana used as well. Well, Diana is just the Romanization, if that's a word. Sounded good, didn't it? Uh, Romanization of the Greek word. So when the Romans kind of took over uh, the Greeks, right? We had the Greek Empire, and then we had the Roman Empire. They worshipped the same gods. They just gave them different names. So in the Greek pantheon of, of gods and goddesses, she was Artemis. In the Roman pantheon of, of gods and goddesses, she was Diana. Same false goddess, two different names, okay? So don't let that confuse you. So when you see somebody talk about or you read in a commentary, they may say Diana, they may say Artemis, but it's referring to the same false goddess. So that's very important to know. Um, and she was worshipped um, in her temple in Ephesus, and this satanic uh, influence of her worship was uh, was well well um, spread throughout, I guess you could say, the city of Ephesus and the surrounding area. And so Paul was preaching and writing to a place that worshipped a false god. Anyways, um, when, that's one of our other questions, who, what, when, where, how, why, when? Well, it's believe that Paul wrote this from prison, from his first Roman imprisonment, because he makes reference in chapter 3, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles. Um, and and the, he's using his imprisonment uh, as, as a spiritual picture of his relationship with Jesus Christ, but at the same time, he was literally in jail. Okay, Paul was in prison multiple times, and the best evidence we have, and I'm not going to get into all that, but is that this was written during his first imprisonment, which would date the letter between 61 and 63 AD, somewhere in that general time frame. He's writing from a prison cell in Rome. Now, I want to address that because, again, when you're reading commentaries, you're listening to sermons, you're looking at Bible dictionaries, whatever, using those tools we always talk about, you will hear um, the writer say one of the prison epistles. Well, the prison epistles, that's just a reference. Of course, epistle means letter, so you can say prison letters. That just is a reference to the books that Paul wrote while in prison. For example, Ephesians. For another example, Philippians. Um, we know that he was... Uh, uh, locked up when he wrote Philippians and he talks about being chained to the praetorium, uh, the Roman guards, etc. And so prison epistles. Now, another term you'll hear, and I'm, I'm telling you all this because I really want you, uh, I don't want to just teach you the book of Ephesians. I want you to learn these terms so that when you're reading commentaries and things like that, you know what they're talking about. And then the commentary or the Bible dictionary, or whatever, it becomes more useful to you because you know how to understand the lingo. And that's my heart 
in in kind of being boring to some people and taking time to explain these terms. So you'll hear the term Pauline epistles, Pauline epistles. Well, it's not hard to figure out. That's just a fancy uh, way that got, that eggheads and seminary uh, decide to refer to the Pauline epistles. They could just say Paul's epistles, but I guess it sounds fancier and more educated to say Pauline epistles. Just like they, instead of saying John's epistles, like First, Second, Third John, Book of John, Book of Revelation, they will say the Johannine epistles. And I, you know, why not just say John's letters? Okay. But anyways, I want you to understand these terms when you hear them. So that deals with the when. We've already dealt with the where that he was writing from a Roman prison during his first imprisonment. So we've looked at the what, doctrine, and practice, when, 61 to 63 AD. We've looked at the who, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. We've talked about how uh, there's a little bit of textual variant there in the in the best Greek manuscripts, and so it, it which isn't a big deal. It just simply means either he was writing to a specific church in Ephesians or he this was a general letter that he wanted all the believers in and around Ephesus to get. So we've overviewed the book. We've looked at who, what, when, where, how, blah, 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 etc. And so now we want to go on to exegete the text. And the word exegete, of course, exegesis to draw out. That's how we want to read our Bibles inductively we want to we want to read them in context we don't want to practice eisegesis which is when we read into the text our own cultural presuppositions and our own understandings and traditions we want to read exegetically draw out what the author meant to say um you interpret the bible based on the author's intent not the reader's desire and so keep that in mind so let's begin Right here, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you will notice a pattern in Paul's letters. He has this system where he gives an introduction naming himself, sometimes naming him, naming his uh, comrades who are with him, and then he will uh, say grace and peace to you or in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, he'll give these kind of greetings, and then he will go on uh, through the meat of the letter and then give a closing. And so kind of like how we have letters, we would say, dear so-and-so, give the letter, sincerely Brad Starnes, okay? Uh, whereas in this day and in this time, you begin the letter not necessarily starting dear who you're writing to, but also identifying yourself as the writer. So you'll see that pattern, okay, throughout Paul's letter. So the verses one and two are just introduction. They tell us who's writing the letter, who he's writing to, and then he gives a general blessing, greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to say one thing that he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We know that throughout Paul's ministry, 
there were those, uh, especially when he first was converted because he persecuted the church. Remember, he, uh, we believe he held the coats of them while they stoned St. Stephen in the book of Acts. He murdered Christians. He hunted them down. And then he met uh, Jesus, and he was struck down the Damascus Road and became blind. And Jesus said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, rather, why? Uh, do you kick against the pricks? And he got saved. He becomes a preacher of the gospel, and he begins to sh spread the gospel. And then we see that uh, early church leaders, etc., they were weary of Paul because you know they were like, "Hey, man, you know you're out here talking about Jesus, and last time we saw you, you were helping him kill Stephen. So what happened? You know." So they questioned Paul's. Um, and you see this at play more in the rest of his letters. They question his apostleship. And so that may be what he is referring to when he says an apostle of Jesus Christ. Of course, apostle, apostolos, sent one, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Paul is saying my calling, um, who I am, my authority comes from Jesus Christ, and it is according to the will of God. So that may be what it's what's at play uh, when Paul makes that reference. But other than that, it's just a general greeting. And then we come to verse 3, and we see a praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so, Paul says he begins to bless the name of God. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's offering praise, and then he gives the reason for the praise. He says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so the, we praise God for who he is, but we also praise God for what he has done. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son. Okay, we see the Trinity reference there. And he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So the source of blessing for the believer is Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you and that is all the spiritual blessings. And we could go on and begin to name these blessings. How about the fact that we get to go to heaven? How about the fact that we don't have to go to hell? How about the fact that our sins are forgiven and that we have a friend that sticks closer to a, than a brother, that we have somebody to pray to who knows us, who hears us, who cares for us? I mean, I could list these blessings out and time would fail us. But the main issue at play here is that we understand that these blessings are in Christ Jesus. That it's Jesus is the source of our blessings. And we need to understand that and appreciate that. And so the blessings are in Christ Jesus. Then he talks about in the heavenly places or the heavenly realms, which are the spiritual dimensions in which God and all spiritual powers are dwelling 
And so that's where we have been already blessed. And so in other words, our blessings are eternal. He's speaking about the internal uh, blessings that we have in a place called heaven. In other words, Paul is referencing the fact that we are going to heaven when we die as believers in Jesus Christ, and that is where our blessings are. You remember Jesus talked about laying up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. So when we do the Father's will as believers, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven because everything on this earth is going to pass away. And so these are the things that are at play when Paul says that. And I'm running out of time, but I'll go ahead and deal with this next phrase in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so God knew according to his foreknowledge and foresaw and allowed those who would be saved um, in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Um, God already knows everybody who's going to be saved and allowed it to be so. Um, I don't see how people get nervous when you say that, um, but I don't see how you could deny that. God is sovereign. He knows the future. He determines the future. So how else could you explain it? And Paul makes it very clearly. Now, I want to say this because I believe we need. there's some balance due here. We don't know the future. We don't know who is going to be saved. We don't know who will believe and who will reject. We have no idea. We can't read the minds and hearts of men. So as believers, those things are between individuals and God. Our business is to share the gospel. And so, and of course, I'm, I'm leaving on a cliffhanger because that's probably the most controversial part in this passage, but we have run out of time. And so I pray that you will take these tools, you will begin to dig into the book of Ephesians, and you will exegete, read it in context, draw out, use those tools to really get at what the author, Paul, intended to say. Because the most dangerous thing that we do in the church today as believers, one of the most, I shouldn't say the most, that's anecdotal, but is that we read the Bible according to what we've heard, according to our tradition, or according to our own beliefs and presuppositions instead of reading it for what it actually says. And so that's the purpose of all this at equipping the body. And so... Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that you bless each and every person that is studying along with us. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate their minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray.